0: Welcome to Edgemont Bible Church in Fairview Heights, Illinois, where our mission is to glorify God by guiding people into a discipleship relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to today's message by our pastor, Douglas A. White. Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. We'll start there. We have uh, at least three other passages we're going to be looking at as well today. So, <clears throat> well, it's been a big week, uh, a lot of things going on. We're glad to see Shirlene made it back from uh, her trip to Israel. I'm not sure exactly why the, world, the war started when Shirlene was there. <clears throat> That's not to imply anything. I just, it's just, it just seems strange that uh, that would happen at that very time. Okay, But they got her out in time, all right, what do that means. Um, so anyway, it's, it's good to be with each of you again today. So let me just say this, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a good way to greet each other, that God would give you all his unmerited favor and that God would grant you peace in your life as you uh, go through the different things that you're going to go through. Last week I had spoken to you about Psalm uh, Psalm 83. And I said, whether this would be a fulfillment of Psalm 83, what's going on in Israel right now, would depend on who gets involved. It'll depend, secondly, on the faith of Israel. That was in the notes. I just want to make sure you're understanding this. God's goal in bringing Israel back to that land was to bring them to faith in Him, was to restore them in that faith, and then bring them to faith in Christ. Kids, that has not happened. They have come back. They're back in the land, and we should be grateful for that. But what I was sharing in my Sunday school class, what I want to share with you today is, is as well. There are two gatherings of Israel, two, not just simply Psalm 37, not just Psalm 36 and 37. No, there was one, or I'm sorry, Ezekiel 36 and 37. There was a passage before that, and that passage was Ezekiel 20 and verse 33, where he said this. I will gather them back into the land again by the, as he said, a mighty hand, an outstretched arm, and in a a fury. So he had some angry things he was going to do, angry because it's been 2,000 years and his people have not been been in faith in Christ yet. They've not been in faith in him yet. Many of them were even turning atheists as they went through some of their struggles, he said he was going to bring them back again. He said, when I bring you back, I'm going to reason with you face to face as I did with your fathers in Egypt and in the wilderness. He had something he wants to do with them there. He wants them to come to faith in him. That's why he was going to send an Elijah ahead of time so that that Elijah would bring them back to the covenant they had with God. What is happening in um, Israel right now is not Psalm th- or Ezekiel 37. It's Ezekiel 20, verses 33 and following. So I'm going to encourage you, go to Ezekiel 20, 33 and following, and read that. Because it's a very important thing that's going to be happening right now. There could be others that get involved with this conflict. I think if there's anything I want to encourage us in is that we are supposed to be those who are supporting Israel. The kids, you can't support injustice. So there's two different things going on there. Right now, know this, that Israel is not in faith. Matter of fact, some of them are just outright atheists. Faith is playing in this thing. There are those who are believers that that is playing into, but that's not where they're at yet. So I want to encourage you not not to support Israel, but how you support them, okay? There's a lot of things that are, are needing to be studied and understood before we make two, two biggest statements there. I can make this statement. History is about to come to a close. You are seeing great things taking place. These are important times that you're in. Um, I'm not going to be a date setter or anything like that. I'm just going to simply say there are many things that have to take place here. We're not in Ezekiel 38 and 39. This is not that great war. That's not what's going on. If anything, this is a Psalm 83 situation, an answer to prayer to Psalm 83. And involves a an unbelieving Israel coming to faith in Christ. All right, coming to faith in uh, the living God first, and then to faith in Christ. So, I just want to make that statement right up front. You can read those passages yourself. I think they're worth your reading. They're worth paying attention to, studying, Uh, not just simply glazing over them, but studying them. What is it the Lord said He was going to be doing? So, um, with that said. Let's, uh, let's look to the Lord in prayer just now as we get ready to uh, open up the Word of God. Father, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for the kindness that you've shown to us. Thank you for the Word of God, and thank you for letting us look into it this morning. We know that you have said <clears throat> our ways are not your ways. Our thoughts are not your thoughts. We don't do things or say things the way you do, and we need your help. We need your assistance. We ask it in the name of Jesus, you'll open our hearts by the very Spirit of God that caused us to be born again. Thank you for opening us up that we might understand who Jesus is and what our lives were about and why we, and how we can be saved through the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm asking now, Father, in the name of Jesus, that you will open us this morning that we might grasp what the gospel really is and its importance. I know, Father, over the 2,000 years since Jesus has left, that gospel has been through a lot of uh, difficult times. I want to thank you that the melody of the Lord Jesus Christ is still being heard by many people. I'm asking for the sake of Christ that you restore the song of salvation to us again, that you'll bring us to good, good truth in that, Father, and cause us to live that out in these last days. Thank you for what you're doing. We lift up those, Father, who are having difficulties and problems as they work their way through some of life's issues. I know, Father, there are some who are going through some financial struggles right now. I ask you to give them wisdom and discernment to know how you can meet their needs, and we'll take care of those situations for them. I know there are some who are going through some real spiritual problems right now, Father, as the adversary is beating them up pretty good. I know the adversary has lied to them about who they are, about what Jesus has actually done for them. So I'm asking in the name of Jesus that you'll open their hearts that they might see the truth of what being saved by grace really is. I know, Father, there are others who are going through a struggle. They haven't yet trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. They've played with it. They've thought about it, and they've been running from it because of something situation that was before them from someone or someone in a church someplace or some relative or whatever else. Father, help them to bypass that and get to the reality of who Jesus is. Help them to see the Lord Jesus Christ. Others, Father, going through relational difficulties. I know they are. And I'm asking, Father, in the name of Jesus, that you open their hearts to forgiveness, to getting rid of bitterness, to open themselves to receive one another, and as they receive one another to come to a good working knowledge of Jesus Christ's sanctification in their life. Conform us to the image of your Son. And Father, we know right now that you have planned everything that's happening in our lives that would conform us to the image of Christ. I ask, Father, for the sake of Christ, you'll give us understanding, humble hearts to receive your gifts, however pleasant or unpleasant as those um, works on your part to bring us to think just like Jesus does, to pray just like Jesus does, to believe and trust just like Jesus does. I want to thank you for what you'll do there. We pray for the different missionary efforts that are going on all around, Father, for every country has someone working in them that wants to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ there. Please, Father, in the name of Jesus, open hearts. Grant people understanding of who Jesus is and grant that they might believe him and trust him. We lift up those who are in Israel, Father. We ask in Jesus' name that you'll open the hearts of Israelis. They might see and know their God and believe and trust in him. I ask for their delivery, Father. I know there are a great many enemies around, Father. I know there are many who are dead set against Israel today. I ask, Father, that just as you have in the past, Bring them through such times and give them boldness and courage to trust you all the way. I pray, Father, that those who have done wrong will come to justice. I pray, Father, also that <clears throat> much, much wisdom will be given to the leaders of Israel to know what to do and how to do it. Thank you for what you're going to do, Father. I pray for the people of Palestine that in Jesus' name you'll bring them to the saving faith in Christ and that all their enemies will do just as Psalm 83 did, cry out to the Lord and want to be saved. And I thank you for the way in which you're going to do that. I pray for our country, asking you to give our leadership much wisdom and discernment to get past some of the the things that go on that have driven us in such a, a bad way for so long. And I want to thank you again for what you'll do there. In Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. The title of this message is Identification. We all want to identify. Matter of fact, we're living in a time right now that's called identity politics, even, that we're, we're identifying with certain groups and, or not identifying with other groups, and we're using the identities that other groups have as some sort of tool against them, some sort of lever against them. We all want to identify. Every one of us, we have a lot of things that we like to identify by. It may be the club that you join. It may be the group that you're in. But you want to have some place that you can identify. What I want to do is share with you today why that's happening to you and why the Lord Jesus Christ is our greatest identification. I hope by the end of this message you'll be able to understand this that your identity, your identification, if it was, is not male nor female. It is not Greek nor Jew. It's not American or not American. It's not a something a hyphenated American. I hope you'll understand that your identity is not the club that you're in or the organization you're in, or even as a member of the Edgemont Bible Church or your political party. I hope you'll understand this, that your everlasting, eternal identity is as a child of God. You may have multiple roles, lots of things that you're doing, but you are a child of God, first of all. You went from being a child of wrath through faith in Christ, you became a child of God. That is your identity. That will always be our identity. Whether you are a husband or a wife, I tell you this, you'll always be a child of God. You might not always be a husband or wife. You may not be a parent, but I tell you this, you'll always be a child of God. And I hope that by the time we end this, you'll understand why that identification is so very important and why Jesus is leading the charge on that identification. All right? So let's take a look at this. Let's take a look at the baptism of Jesus in Mark chapter 1. We read this. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Stop. Why was Jesus baptized? Let's understand John's ministry first of all, because John's the one who's doing the baptizing here. And John's going to have a little difficulty when Jesus comes to be baptized by him. So let's talk about, did John understand his ministry? Here's where we go. Here's what he knew according to his father's prophecy about him, that his father gave, being full of the Holy Spirit, and that John, being full of the Holy Spirit, even from the womb, this was what he was supposed to do, to introduce to the world the Messiah. That first thing he's supposed to do, introduce Messiah to Israel. Israel had a lot of ideas about Messiahs. They thought there were going to be two Messiahs, And here, John is supposed to be the one who introduces the world to Messiah. Further, it was to prepare the people to receive that Messiah by preparing the way before him. He was supposed to preach and let them know, get your hearts right. The kingdom of God is right before you. Messiah is here. He is coming right away. So get your hearts right. Prepare for him. Repent. And that's got a lot to do, as we'll see in just a minute, That's got a lot to do with the way we look at things. And that's why repentance is an ongoing thing for us. Repentance is found in in, uh, Romans chapter 12 when it says, don't be conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's a continuous repentance. That's a repentance gift that's given to us where we're encountering new things from the Word of God all the time, and we're changing the way we think about things because I've encountered the Word of God. That's why, brothers and sisters, it's so important to stay in the Word of God all the time. He was telling them to get their hearts ready to receive Him when He came by with, with, uh, giving them prepping faith. He was telling them that Messiah is coming, the kingdom's coming, and now get your hearts ready for that. If you've got anything between you and the Lord on this, repent of it. Change your mind. He was, number three, to call the people to repent of their view of the Messiah and of the relationship to God through the covenant broken by sin. Now, if you'd like to write up beside, in your outline right there, write up beside sin, would you write unbelief? Unbelief. Put it in parentheses if you like. Because that's what sin is. Oh, yes, yes, I understand that sin is stealing from your neighbor. I, I get it. But why do you steal from your neighbor? It's because you're not believing the God of of your neighbor. You're not believing the God that you're accountable to. You're not walking in the fear of the Lord. If you walk in the fear of the Lord, you wouldn't be doing that. If you loved your neighbors yourself, you wouldn't be stealing from him. It's all about unbelief, not believing what God is. That's the sin of a broken covenant. Everybody follow me? It's not just the individual acts, kids. It's because we won't believe what he says. We won't trust him. All right. So let's talk about this. They had wrong views of God. How do I know that? Because it came, when John's talking about why Jesus came, he said that we knew grace and truth by Moses, but Jesus came to explain God. He's wanting us to know who God is. He's wanting us to understand what God is about, who God is, and how God works. He's going to show them mercy. He's going to show them truth. He's going to show them grace. He's going to show them how much that in spite of what they are, he was going to heal them, feed them, take care of them. He wanted them to know his father, so he came to explain his father. They had wrong views of God. Number two, they had wrong views of the Messiah, they, they could see that there is one Messiah that's going to take away their sin, but there's another Messiah who's going to be delivering them from the, the Roman powers. He's going to be the, the son of David. <clears throat> he's going to come in and deliver people. They were one person, not two. So he's wanting them to get over this thought of two Messiahs. So they're going to have to repent of their view of Messiah. Secondly, they're going to have to, or thirdly, they're going to have to repent of what life is. <clears throat> They were with the life, they were just disgusted with the life they're having to live with the Romans. They always felt like they should be freer. They always felt like that the Romans were oppressive to them. And if they just got rid of the Romans, they'd have a good life. They couldn't deal with what the problem really was, as Jesus said to them It's not what's outside of you that defiles you, kids, it's what's inside of you. It's your heart that's the problem. That's what's been the problem now. That was the problem back here at Mount Sinai when you told me you would do everything I said. And he said at that time, Oh, if you only had that kind of heart. But you don't. You won't do what you said you would do. It's our heart that's the problem, guys. And that's what needed to change. So he's going to talk a lot about the heart, about what goes on with people. He, the whole Sermon on the Mount is about your motive, about your heart, about what you think. Right? He's also going to share with them about justification. What is it that justifies a man? Is it keeping the law that justifies a man? Is it doing good deeds that justifies a man? Is that what it is? He's going to share with them that's not what it is. That it's about trusting God. It's about actually trusting the Christ. So there's a lot to repent of. Everybody see where we're coming from? There's a lot of things to repent of here. It wasn't just their individual acts. They were doing individual acts because of unbelief, because they didn't trust God, because they didn't believe what God had to say about them, what God had to say about himself, what God had to say about what life is, about what God had to say about justification. They weren't believing him. John's going to call them to repent. Number four. Did John understand his ministry and the ramifications of it? What was John expecting? Now, here's what I know. Some of you are Sunday school teachers. Some of you are um, Awana workers. Some of you work in trail life. Some of you are school teachers, homeschool teachers. Some of you do all kinds of things. Do you ever wonder if what you're doing has any value at all? Does that ever come across when you're saying, I don't know if this is, do I even understand what I'm doing? Is is it just one more Wednesday night where I'm going to listen to these little guys recite Scripture to me again when I know that they may not even understand it at all? I explain it to them one week. I think that they got it. I went over it with them several times. And when I come back the next week, I ask them, and they just look at me and say, what verse? I don't know what you're talking about. Do you ever think that John might have had that same difficulty? L- listen, all kinds of people are coming to John, and he's excited about the fact that there are people turning. Yet, that does not grab a hold of him. He's wondering, is, is this, which one of these is Messiah? I was told by God that Messiah would show up here one day, and when Messiah shows up, I'll recognize him. I'll know him. But he'd baptized thousands of people already. He and his disciples had baptized lots of people. And not once had they seen him. Where is he? Am I doing this in vain? Does this mean anything? Is it going to happen? Well, I want you to look at some of the things and the reasons I think that's what he did. What was John expecting? What was he looking for with that Messiah? What was he expecting was going to take place? When Messiah shows up, is he going to drive out the Romans then? Is that, is that what it's going to be? Or somehow he's going to wave a magic Moses rod and, and all the people are going to be saved? How was he going to do it? What was he expecting? Jesus said that John was the Elijah of the people if the people had only believed him. And for those who want that, that's Matthew eleven fourteen. 14. Jesus said that John is Elijah, if you believe him. If you receive what he had to say, he is the forerunner. The kingdom is right here, right now. If you had believed what John had to say, then you would believe me. If you believe me, the kingdom is right now. But you didn't receive him, and you're not receiving me. Therefore... Even though John was the Elijah. When the, when the Pharisees came in Matthew chapter 3, uh, let me see the. the no, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, Matthew 3, when the Pharisees came to him and said, Hey, are you the uh, prophet? No. Well, are you the Christ? No, definitely not that. Well, then, are you Elijah? No. Well, then, who are you? I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Yet Jesus says he is Elijah, but John doesn't know he is the Elijah. I'm going to go on further with you. He tried to prevent Jesus from coming to him. In Matthew chapter 3, again, uh, 13 and, and following, he tried to prevent Jesus from coming to him for baptism. When he recognizes Jesus and Jesus steps in the water with him, he said, wait a minute, this is This is reversed. You need to be baptizing me, not me baptizing you. And Jesus said, do this. This is what righteousness is. Do this. Why? Kids, Jesus has come to identify with us. If he wasn't baptized, then he isn't one of us. But he came like one of us, to be in the messianic community of which he is the Messiah. Listen, John's baptism was about the remission of sins. It was not for the remission of sins, and I'll show you why that makes a difference in just a moment. Let's go uh, a little further with that. Later, while John was in prison, he sent his disciples to question Jesus about proof he was the Messiah. And uh, let's turn to Matthew 11 just for a moment, would you? Matthew eleven two 2-6, just so you have the practice of turning your Bible pages. See if you're still with me here. Don't get lost in my words. Let's just uh, work our way through this. Matthew 11, verses 2-6. through six. <clears throat> And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, He sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? I want you to stop just for a minute. This was after John had baptized Jesus, and the heavens had been opened, and God had confirmed that Jesus is that Messiah. Here's John in prison. What was he expecting? Was he expecting that Jesus shows up, then John shows up, and then together they go into the kingdom, and they drive out the Romans, and ta-da, it's over here? The kingdom's here. I got arrested. Arrested. What am I doing in prison? This is not my job. This is not my work. I got arrested. Why am I here? Are you the Messiah or not? John's wondering, what am I? What is my ministry about? So he's going to send two of his disciples, since he obviously can't go himself. He sends two of his disciples. And Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see, the blind see and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John. Now we'll we'll work with that in just a minute. John, you heard the heavenly voice. But now I'm past the heavenly voice. And these are the things that are being done. Who else does these things? Who else can cause the blind to see? Who else can cause the deaf to hear? Who else can raise the dead? John, you're okay. It may be, John. And Jesus didn't even say this. It may be that you're going to lose your head over this whole thing. But I want you to know, you had a purpose. You fulfilled your mission. Well done. Everybody follow it? So just listen very carefully. If you're wondering about whether your ministry is really worth it or not, stop. It's not yours to judge. Just be faithful. Do what you're supposed to do. Finish your mission. And on that day when your mission or when you're unable to do your mission anymore, then you don't have to ask this question. Did I do enough? Is this really what it was all about? Or was I deluded? Was I caught up in something that was an emotional thing? Or in fact, is Jesus really the Christ? John, Jesus is really the Christ. And what you did was your mission, all right? <clears throat> John had been told the sign would give in to recognize the Messiah. He knew what was supposed to happen. He knew that in, um, uh, let's see, well, we're in the book of Matthew. Let's just go to Matthew 3 because it's, it's, it's in three Gospels. So let's just go to Matthew 3 while we're here. <clears throat> And let's look at verses 13 to 16. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him, and John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? And Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. <laughs> I think that's so cool. John's going to allow Jesus to be baptized. Son of God. Well, anyway, here we go. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him and, he, and suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Probably you won't need much beyond that one. If you're going to be on that, in, in that crowd that day, if you're going to be in that water like John was, that's probably all the words you're going to need to hear. I want you to get this picture, guys. God is identifying Jesus as the Messiah. John is identifying Jesus as the Messiah. Jesus is identifying as the Messiah because you are in his group. You have an identity, and here it is you are a child of God because of this one who was identified by God the Father as the Son of God and whom he's well pleased. He was identified with John who was preparing the way for him to come. He was identifying by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And now he said, that he is identifying with you. That's why he's going through this. John knew that his ministry was subservient to that of Messiah, and he made no pretense of his greatness. Turn with me to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. I think it would be pretty easy for John to get all caught up in himself. Man, people are coming from everywhere. People are believing you, man. They're listening to your words. Look at all, you're, you're, you're quite a popular fellow. Look at all the people. Those, all those people are lined up, ready to be baptized. Look what a great guy you are, man. It could be easy to get caught up and trapped in that. However, in John chapter 3, verses 22 to 36, listen to this. <clears throat> After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized. Now, John was also baptizing in Enon and near Salem. Because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized, for John had not yet been thrown into prison. And there arose a dispute of some John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you've testified, behold, he's baptizing, and all are coming to him. Hey, that Jesus guy stealing your thunder. Stealing the thunder, man. This was your program. We got in this because of you. We're in this with you, John. Listen to John. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. Let's read that again. A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. Where do you get your stuff? He's saying here is from heaven, right? So, ought we to be a little cautious about how we talk about the things that we have? Ought we not be just a little cautious and remind ourselves this is not something that I created? This was given to me from heaven. This is a gift from Almighty God. But let's go further. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ. But I have been sent before him. Didn't I already tell you there's somebody greater than me? Why, why are you doing this to me? Didn't I already tell you there's somebody greater than me that I'm not even worthy of touching his sandal? Why does that surprise you? He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. He's saying, I'm just the, I'm just the, the best man in this wedding, see? This is not my wedding. I'm the best man. I'm, I'm just going to stand here with my friend. He's the bridegroom. That's the one who needs to get the credit. Let's go on further. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. Uh, therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. And what he has seen and heard, he testifies, and no one receives his testimony. He who has received this testimony has certified that God is true. That's belief. That's what takes away sin. You follow me? When you're believing God, that's what eliminates your sin. It's not about you turning over a new leaf and doing some sort of penance and doing some wonderful things that you think are really going to please God and somehow impress God. They don't. Believing God impresses God. That justifies you, okay? Go on further. For he whom God has sent speaks the word of God, for God does not give the spirit by measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. John was saying, I'm not baptizing people into me. I'm not having this ministry for me. It is him. It's always been about him. I was here to introduce him to people. I was here to tell you, get, get your ways right for him, not your ways right for me. Don't identify with me. Identify with him. He's identifying with you. Then identify with him. That's who you belong to. He's the bridegroom. I'm just the best man. He's the big guy here. I'm not. He has to increase, and I must decrease, and I'm okay with that that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. I don't need the limelight. I don't need the glory. What I need is that Messiah. What you need is that Messiah, and he's identifying with all of us. They go a step further. He said, John's baptism was a baptism into the Messiah and a separation from the old ways of living, the law. Look, we read that John was baptizing for the remission of sins. Gotcha. But John was baptizing for the kingdom of God. He's saying the kingdom of God is at hand. His baptism was baptizing people into the messianic hope. That's what they were looking for. Later on in, in the, the, the book of Acts, there are going to be some disciples found in Ephesus. And those disciples had been baptized in the baptism of John, waiting for the Messiah. Paul gets there and he starts talking to them and he recognizes they're believers, but as as he talks to them, he recognizes, wait a minute, have you heard of Jesus? Who's Jesus? Then if you don't know who Jesus is, what are you believing in? Well, the baptism of John. John was saying the Messiah is coming. Paul is saying the Messiah has come, and those guys then said, great, well, who is this guy? Paul tells them who Jesus is, and now they are become believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. You follow? Because John was baptizing people into a body of believers who are waiting for Messiah. That's what it's all about. Can I say that when we baptize people here, that's what we're doing also. It's not about the remission of sins. That was taken care of by the Lord Jesus Christ through faith in Christ. When we are baptizing people, we are baptizing them into the Messianic group. you saying, by baptism, I've looked everything else over. I don't want anything else. I don't want to follow anything else. Jesus is that Messiah. I am following him, and I'm going to live my life around Jesus being the Messiah. I am committed to Jesus being the Messiah. That's why I've never been able to understand what it is that people are saying, I don't want to be baptized. You don't have to be baptized to be saved. What kind of foolish talk is that? Whoever said you have to be baptized to be saved? Here's the deal, kids. Are you going to identify publicly with Jesus who will publicly identify with you or not? It's as simple as that. This is not some complex thing. If you're saying, I don't want to be publicly baptized because I don't want to be identified with the Lord Jesus Christ, then think very carefully what you're saying. Your life rests on that. John's baptism was into that messianic body. And I don't want you to do this. Here's the analogy Jesus is coming to take up where Israel failed. Jesus is God's son, Israel, that did not do what he wanted done. Everybody follow me? Just like Adam was the representative for all of us, and all of us are in Adam, so all of Israel was within Israel. And Israel failed to keep the covenant, failed to do all kinds of things. In order for God to justify Israel, he's giving her a substitute, his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if that son will live out that baptism, if that son will live out that faith, then, that, then he can afford to justify all of Israel because of that one person. Follow this. When Moses brought the people of Israel out of the Red Sea, Are out of Egypt, and he brought them to the Red Sea, and they couldn't go any further. It says they were all baptized into Christ, baptized into Moses, and they all crossed the Red Sea that blocked off their exit to go back to Egypt. John's baptism was to say exactly the same thing. With that baptism, you are crossing the Red Sea. You're not going back to any other way. You instead are looking for Messiah. Jesus passed where they did not. In the wilderness, they're going to be tested and tempted where he was not. Let me go further and see if we can show you what I'm talking about here. Jesus' baptism is not for the remission of his sins, for he had none to remit. And instead, it is his identification with the company of those who believed in him as Messiah, even though they had not seen him yet. They were believing someone they hadn't seen yet. John was telling them he's coming, and they're believing that. They're trusting that. And he, uh, compare that with Hebrews 2, 9 through 18. Here, he's telling why Jesus had to take on flesh. And he took on flesh in order to identify those of us who live in flesh. He's become just like one of us. He is identifying, kids, what what I'm saying is simply this. He is identifying with every part of your humanity, every part of you, every part of the temptations you're going to go through, every part of the rejection you're going to go through, every part of the problems you're going to go through, every part of the potential bitterness you could have, every part of the injustice that's going to be done to you. He's identifying with you in all of that. He is taking on every sin that you have. He's taking on every bad motive that you have. He's taking on every ill thought that you had. He's taking them all on, and he's identifying with you. And in his baptism, he's identifying with you. In his incarnation, he's identifying with you. He has identified fully with us, and he calls on us to identify fully with him. Jesus is identifying with disobedient Israel in order to live before God the obedient life they should have lived. This makes Jesus the living human substitute for both Adam and the Adam race, which was after his kind and Israel, his beloved wife, who had so betrayed him. So he's going to be living a, an obedient life that Adam didn't live. He's, that's going to be for all of us. He's going to live an obedient life for the life that Israel did not live. He's living it in our place. He is our substitute. That's why it's not simply on the cross that he died for us. It is on his very life. He is living for us. He is living the life of faith and obedience we did not live. That's why he can exchange from the cross. He can exchange our sinful life for his righteous life. For he is living everything for us that we should have done and didn't. So that in his resurrection, when we are raised with him, we are a new creation. Completely new people. We're not what we were prior to that. All right. Take another step with you in this. Letter D. God is imputing the disobedience and sin of these two parties to righteous, obedient, faithful Jesus, Jesus is willingly receiving it. God then imputes the obedience of Christ on those two sinful groups in order to justify the ones who receive this gift. Imputation—that's taking one thing from someone and imputing it to someone else. It's taking—if uh, 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 you're you're in deep debt. And here is someone who's extremely rich, and he takes his own funds and puts them into your account. That's imputation. So God is taking us who are sinful people, and he's taking our sinfulness, and he's imputing it to the Lord Jesus Christ, which demands death, and Christ is dying for us, But because he is the righteous one that he is by his faithfulness and obedience, his faithful, obedient life is imputed to us. That's why Jesus identified with us. That's why Jesus had to be baptized. He is one of us. That's righteousness. Let me go on a step further with you the temptation of Jesus. So, why be tempted? the temptation of Jesus reveals to us what happens when a human spirit is united to the divine spirit. Adam didn't pass the test. Israel didn't pass the test. Why? They sought to do the test independently. They sought to do it as if they didn't need God. We can do this. We're we're strong, resilient, powerful people. We can do these things. And because they did them independently of him, it was sin. Kids, we can't live independently of God. That is why he united us with the Lord Jesus Christ. That is why he gave us his spirit. He knows we cannot do that. He's trying to teach us we can't do that. It was Israel acting independently that said, you tell us what to do, we'll do it. We just don't need you. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. And for those who think somehow that they're going to live the Christian life, they they got saved now, and now it's up to them to live the Christian life and do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. Stop. I understand why you do it. That's about as normal a human thing as you can do. It's also as deadly a human thing as you could do as you could possibly do because you aren't going to do it. You're not who you think you are. You're without help. You need the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit's not going to work any other way except by faith, by full trust in what he's saying. And the temptation of Jesus is what happens when you find a human spirit united to a divine. When you see a human spirit that is united to The living God, this is what takes place. So let's just look at a few things here. We'll come back to the temptation on another day. Just as Israel had gone into the wilderness to be tested by God there, so too Jesus was driven into the wilderness to be tested. Remember, Jesus is reliving the life of Israel. That's what he's doing. He's reliving the life that Israel failed at. Jesus is reliving it to succeed at it. Watch how he does it. He's taking the place of disobedient Israel to pass the test on their behalf. Just as Israel had failed at Mount Sinai, they had failed in the wilderness, they complained and griped. The adversary chooses to to work with Jesus this way. What's one of the first things that Israel complained about in the wilderness? What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? Where is it? Got to have something. So what is Jesus to do? So if the adversary is going to hit any place, what's he going to do? How long have you not been eating, kid? If you're who you say you are, some stones. You can take stones. They'd be bread. Man should not live by bread alone. Wait a minute. That's not what Israel said. We can't live if we don't have Bread. They're going to act independently. You give us what we want, or we're not going to serve you. Why should we believe you? You don't give us the food we want. That is not what Jesus said. Everybody, follow me? So, the very test they failed at, he's going to pass. And he's going to pass because he's united with the Spirit of God. He's not acting independently. To act independently is foolish, it's deadly. Or as he said, it produces no fruit. It seems that the tool God uses to test anyone is the Satan. God uses it tests people. And how does he test them? Since God can't test anyone with evil and does not himself, it's not tested with evil, he uses the adversary to test people, just as it was in the book of Job. Fair enough? So, like Israel in the wilderness, the wilderness is a bleak supplier of provisions for life. Israel complained. Jesus did not. He's passing the test of faith for us. Satan tempts him to use his power, authority, and position to gain for himself dominion without suffering. Care for his person apart from God. And to test his father's care for him. Jesus is demonstrating what faith means to us. So when the adversary is testing him, he tests him, saying, if you're who you say you are, then here's what, look at these kingdoms. See all these kingdoms? He shows them all the kingdoms of the earth. I know that your goal is to be the supreme leader of them all. I'm willing to let you have them right now. I know in order for you to have them, you're going to have to take them from me. And I know for you to have them, you're going to have to die. That's the only way it's going to be. I'm offering you a life without that kind of suffering. All you got to do is submit to me. Worship me. And he said, you shall only worship the living God. He passed what Israel couldn't. In the end, when he's going to show them, look, he'll take care of you. He's got it written in the book. That if you dash your foot against a stone, you can't even stub your toe. He'll take care of your toe stub. Go ahead. Jump off. I know that before you hit the ground, the angels will catch you. And you do too. You ever been without food for 40 days? I I do pretty good at 40 minutes. Okay? 40 days, no. But I do know this. For just a few days, I get pretty hungry, and that makes my head a little crazy. When I'm without water, I get a little crazy. I get dehydrated. I don't make good decisions. Here is a human spirit that is as low as it can get, that's united with the Spirit of God, and when he's tested over does God really care for you or not because that human spirit is united with that divine spirit, he will pass the test. You say, well, how does that benefit me? I'm glad you ask. Here's how it benefits you. It is his faith you are living by, not yours. When God is transferring Christ's life to you, It is not just simply Christ's love. It is not just simply Christ's joy. It is Christ's faith that he's giving to you. Listen. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by The faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Everybody follow me? It's not your faith. He can't count on your faith. That would be independent. He gave you instead the very faith of Christ and calls on you to activate it, energize it every day of your life. You have everything you need for this life. You are fully equipped. And you are being conformed to the image of Christ who believed God in every one of those temptations and passed them for me and you. So that when that imputation takes place, he's not just taking my sin and my iniquity away from me and giving me righteousness. He's giving to me the life of Christ. All of it. And he put me in a union with him so that we are one. That's Christianity, kids. It isn't our imitation of Jesus. That is a paltry way of living this life. It is a divine life given to us by God Almighty Because Jesus identified with us. In his temptation, he's identifying with us. In his baptism, he's identifying with us so that we could have all of him and not an imitation of him. Father, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for the truth that is in your word. Thank you for this wonder of our salvation We give you praise today for loving us the way you did, for caring for us the way you did, giving us life everlasting. And I'll thank you for it all in Jesus' name. Father, if there's anybody here who doesn't know you yet, please, in the name of Jesus who died for them, please grant their minds might be open, their hearts might be open, they might truly trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, the one who identified already with them even before they knew who he was. Thank you for it in Christ's name. We hope God has encouraged you with today's message by Pastor White. Thank you for joining us at the Edgemont Bible Church. We'd love to have you visit us if you're ever in the area. For directions, more information, or to support the ministry of Edgemont Bible Church, please go to our website at edgemontbiblechurch.org. That's Church, edgemontbiblechurch, all one word, dot org. You can also follow us on Facebook at Edgemont Bible Church, where the Sunday morning message is broadcast live.